From Capital Analytics, I'm Abby Maloney, and this is Invest Insights. Every week, we bring you perspectives, business advice, and more from the leading executives, entrepreneurs, and investors who are building, diversifying, and leading the way in the country's fastest-growing metro markets. Real leaders, real insights, right now. Welcome to Invest Insights. I'm Abby Maloney. I'm joined today by Tasha Dickinson, the partner at Day Pitney. Tasha, thank you so much for being with me today. Thanks for having me. You know, the season four, we're looking at this new economy that has been created due to the pandemic, the new norms, new business strategies, new operations that will be long lasting past uh, the pandemic. But before we get there, I wanted to ask you, are there any new personal norms that you started during the pandemic, any hobbies or interests or technologies, a new way of organizing yourself uh, that you know will be uh, continued in this post-pandemic climate? Well, I think we've all learned a greater sense of balance between our work lives and our personal lives. So the workday has become less defined. So we've had to to work harder to uh, define for ourselves when we're working and when we're playing, so to speak. But I think um, COVID has caused us all to reflect on our lives and to make sure we're living in a way that's meaningful. So for me, that's meant spending more time, more quality time with my kids and being present in in what's going on in their lives. At Day Pitney, your focus primarily centers around estate planning and estate trust administration. With the pandemic bringing people's mortality to the foreground over the past 16 months, how have you seen people's focus change as it pertains to reassessing their personal and financial lives? And how has this in turn affected your practice and the way people are now approaching estate planning? Well, I think COVID in the the past 15 months or so has been a perfect storm of sorts. So I think people, because of COVID, number one, they face their own mortality because most of us know someone who died from COVID or became very ill from COVID. Um, I think people also had time to think about things that they hadn't had time to think about before. So people who had kind of shelved their estate planning because they didn't want to deal with it, they kind of brought it back out. And to the last point that I made about living and balance and whatnot, I think people just viewed life a little bit more differently um, as a result of COVID, realizing that that life can change very quickly. So those three things combine to cause estate planners to be very busy because people were talking more about their estate planning. The reality is I think um, there were, unfortunately, a lot of people died during COVID. So from a trust and estate administration point of view, we were also very busy. Then insert the impending presidential election that occurred towards the end of last year and the thought that exemptions were going to go down for for gift and estate tax purposes, people became frenetic towards the end of the year trying to plan for that and nothing happened. And so that has continued into this year where people are still waiting to see what might happen with the existing tax laws. So again, kind of a perfect storm of activity that has made uh, the trust and estates world very busy. 
And Ian, you kind of alluded to this uh, for my next question over the uh, you know the period of this economic volatility, also political volatility. What were some of the most common missteps that you saw clients make as it pertains to their estates, and how have you since helped them strategize to make the most out of this new normal? Well, I think people were being reactive to what they're seeing on the news, and I think that that's a mistake. Uh, people again, at the end of last year, we're certain the exemptions were going to go down. And, and there was a lot of talk about retroactivity of those exemptions decreasing. So it was much like what happened back in 2012, when people anticipated that lifetime exemptions were going to decrease. Every There was this frenzy of activity. And again, nothing happened in, in 2012, 2013 either. Um, and so I think people were just reacting to what they were hearing from their friends or hearing on the news and weren't being quite as thoughtful as maybe they should have been about their planning. And in what I've tried to counsel people is that there's not a one size fits all. And just because you heard it on the news or because your friend did, it doesn't mean it's right for you. So I always say to clients, my job is to help people make an informed decision that's specific to their facts and circumstances. And so that's what I've tried to bring to the table during this process is to make people take a step back and to thoroughly analyze the strategies that they're thinking of employing to be sure that it makes sense for them to do that um, at, at this time. We all know that technology adoption has disrupted all industries to include the legal sector from remote working, adaptability, um, automated processes, as well as Zoom depositions. What concerns are emerging amongst lawyers that you talk to regarding this rapid change? And how do you see the legal community continuing to accept and adapt to these virtual realities in a post-COVID-19 world? So I think in the trust and estates world, particularly here in Florida, we had already um, kind of laid the foundation for this surge of technology in the trust and estates world. Um, back in January of 2020, we had a remote notarization statute that took effect. And then in July of 2020, we had a statute that took effect that allowed for um, the remote execution of estate planning documents. And so that had already been teed up. Unfortunately, we were ill-prepared even then because we didn't realize there was going to be a pandemic and we were going to be forced to use that. The legislation had been enacted just vis-a-vis um, -vis the need to have have greater flexibility in executing estate planning documents. Generally, we certainly hadn't anticipated a pandemic. Um, and so we're still really working out the kinks with that. But I think the idea of using technology to execute estate planning documents will continue to, to take hold. And we'll have to refine that over time, which will happen with any new legislation that happens. So we'll continue along that path. Um, estate planners and attorneys in general will have to continue to be flexible in, in terms of how we conduct our businesses. I mean, who would have thought 15 months ago or 18 months ago that the majority of our meetings would be conducted over Zoom? Who would have right. been 
heard of Zoom <laughs> at the time. And so I think we'll continue to refine the way that we operate in that regard. However, I do believe that there's no substitute for human interaction. Mm. And so despite the fact that we'll continue to go down this track to um, allow technology to enhance our practices, I don't believe that technology will ever replace our practices. Sure. Now that we find ourselves in this new economy, this new landscape, what's next for Day Pitney and the estate planning sector overall? So in the estate planning sector overall, um, I, I guess I would say that the only thing constant in the tax planning and estate planning world is change sure. because the tax laws are ever evolving. Yeah. And so I think that there's always going to be a place for estate planners to help clients, um, not only on the technical side, but also anecdotally, the experience that we bring to the table in dealing with other family situations that aren't necessarily tax related. So I think that there'll always be that place for us. And again, since the tax laws are ever evolving, we're constantly switching gears, um, whether we're doing a estate tax planning or based on legislation that's currently on the table in Washington, we may be doing more income tax planning. And right. so with the exemption amounts going up and down based on the administration that's in power or the tax rates changing, I think there'll always be um, interesting work for estate planners to do. So at Day Pitney, um, as you know, we're a about a 300 person firm with offices from Providence, Rhode Island, down to Miami, up everywhere up and down the East Coast. Um, so we're a real a thought leader in the trust and estate space and also on the corporate and litigation side. So we will continue to be thought leaders in those areas and to grow our practices. We're relatively new in the Florida market and we will continue to grow our Florida offices in particular um, so that we can best serve our clients based on what's going on. Great. Well, thank you again. That was Tasha Dickinson, the partner at Day Pitney. My name is Abby Maloney. Thank you again, Tasha. You've been listening to Invest Insights. Be sure to follow, rate, and review this podcast to hear more. I'm Abby Maloney. Thank you for tuning in. From Capital Analytics, I'm Abby Maloney, and this is Invest Insights. Every week, we bring you perspectives, business advice, and more from the leading executives, entrepreneurs, and investors who are building, diversifying, and leading the way in the country's fastest-growing metro markets. Real leaders, real insights, right now. Welcome to Invest Insights. I'm Abby Maloney. I'm joined today by Dr. Fred Keating, the president of Rowan College of South Jersey. Fred, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure, Abby. No, my pleasure. You know, we're going to be talking about this new economy that has been created due to the pandemic. New business norms, new operations that started in, during the pandemic that will continue into this post-pandemic climate. But before we get on the business side, I wanted to ask you personally, were there any new norms that you instilled during the pandemic 
new hobbies, new interests, new new technologies that you know will continue with you in this post-pandemic world we're entering into? Uh, of course there is. I mean, the entire, our entire culture has been shaken, you know, to its roots. And all of us have adapted as best we can. I mean, there's a generational approach to that thought. Sure. Uh, but from my perspective, I think what we're learning, or I've learned specifically that I'll carry forward, uh, is this idea that we have to get a little more aggressive in the visionary aspect of where mm-hmm. things are going, even personally as well as professionally. We, I thought, were somewhat complacent, especially in the sector in which I work, Interesting. which you know, pretty much captures most of my activity and thought process, that we were living kind of day to day, and we had a lot of situations where change comes slowly, personally and or in the sector. And this pandemic forced us to stop thinking that way, that we really had to accept the changes because they are so aggressive. And the outcomes that we're faced with now are probably some of the more difficult things that we've experienced as a society or even as an individual, our Mm -hmm. adaption to work. I mean, this movement now of individuals not wanting to return to work, this whole culture of that we do our business the way you and I are doing it now, Oh, you know, with a technology influence. So I think what what I would offer on that thought is really is the idea of, of the vision and the willingness to adapt to change. We always say we have it or we attempt it, but I think now you don't really have a choice any longer. Uh, you must adapt or you will die. And the adapting aspect is aggressive to where people, and we have to watch this even, I try to watch this personally, is that we could freeze you. Uh, because it's intimidating and it's aggressive and that you may want to just stop, in some cases, retreat. And in some cases, uh, we see individuals that are just choosing not to engage. And I think that the fear aspect of what the pandemic has put in our minds and the longevity of it is basically changing the way we we engage. And I think engagement is, is is what we have to get back to as a society for learning and in our sector, certainly for the idea of higher education. So personally, I adapt to my my industry. I'm influenced by it every day. So I just think those couple points, the idea of willingness to adapt, to change, and to engage. Uh, Because my fear is, uh, as we are now into the beginning of the academic year, and from a professional, personal perspective, is I don't see the re-engagement. And I think that obviously it's, it's the exit strategy of a pandemic culture, but our behavioral issues are probably getting in front of everything else. Our health is obviously premier, but I think behind it is is a behavioral shift. So uh, you must accept and move on. Uh, yeah. As I say, you must change or you will die. So um, it's going to be an exciting and yet challenging and scary somewhat uh, beginning of our sector and our personal involvement in it. Yeah. You know, you mentioned adaptation a lot. And during the pandemic, uh, Rowan College lost about 15% of its student population, but saw a significant uptick in applications for the medical school, something we've now known to be called the Fauci effect. How does that recent uptick in demand for the medical education influence the college's strategy to regain the student population and plans to ensure the college's future success? Well, that's probably the question of the day. The college does have a medical health profession, uh, allied health campus component that's growing larger and larger every day. The Rowan University School of Osteopathic Medicine moved on to our campus as a branch of their main campus in Stratford and Camden County. And with that, we became a partner. Uh, It is the university's medical school, but being a partner and having it on our soil gives us a very unique approach to health education 
as a community or junior college to the university. With that in mind, your point is extremely well made with regard to the so-called Fauci effect. We have heard from them that their enrollment, hence the need for that expansion campus to take 150 new medical applications for doctors wow. is significant growth. And it's probably somewhat influenced by service to the community or pandemic or Fauci effect of medicine study. Um, the Also the nursing profession, which now we have, and we're, we are the best, so to speak, in New Jersey awarded such that we see that we had a double application pool for the registered nurse program. We had to increase another cohort and we would mm -hmm. like to go one more. Um, LPN, RN, all of our allied health considerations. We're going to open up a respiratory therapy program and already applications are in demand. We, we have you know nutritional science. And also don't forget, as we mentioned a little bit earlier, We've expanded our health profession consideration when we advertise to the behavioral science, mm. psychology, pain management, drug and alcohol consideration, trauma, uh, post-traumatic post stress, even with our military students, but also now with our general population and our employees, back to what we talked about earlier. So yes, the, the impact of the, of the pandemic has greatly and, and thankfully so enhanced medicine, health professions, We've, been, we've got a new relationship coming out uh, recently we'll, we'll come out with with regard to uh, a network with a premier relationship within Spira Hospital Network. We're talking to Virtua. We're talking to others. So the idea of clinical training, emerging fields, uh, medical tech, surgical tech, all aspects of radiography, MRI, ultrasound, we're bringing all of those programs into the arena with high demand. We're thankful. We're trying to quickly respond to demand. Uh, bricks and mortar, as well as clinical sites. So it's got a two-part hit. One is the interest of the study as a result of a pandemic that captured a world, and also the idea that can we meet demand and specific demand as you have a population of somewhat employment-wise that uh, they're burning out. Uh, these are people that have been on high alert now for a year and a half, and right. you know some of them are casualties of this situation. So we've got that here we go again. It's that mm -hmm. that fear factor and that re or disengagement that we're trying to keep up with supply and demand. But you're on to it. You're absolutely right. And we're thrilled to be a part of the growth of allied health and nursing. The New Jersey legislation has made a lot of advances in the wind industry. And Rowan College wants to play a key role in training uh, the next generation for the wind industry. What progress has been made in that effort and why is it important towards the future vision of the college? Well, that's a geographical question. Uh, the idea that we are in South Jersey and South Jersey is now the focus of the wind industry uh, with the farm that's going to go off the Atlantic City and up to Barnicut uh, Coast. We have manufacturing in the Port of Paulsboro, which was kind of the first start conversation of the manufacturing of the, of the monopiles and the blades. So the turbines and all coming from there. Gloucester had a natural relationship. Our Senate president, Steve Sweeney, was, was very much engaged in this conversation and pushed us immediately to look into becoming part of the training component. Uh, again, we have Rowan University as a partner with research and engineering. Uh, we have the college with regard to the tech training. So we are in the process of, of applying for all of the applications that are out there with regard to providing training. Uh, we were not successful with basic training. Uh, however, we are now involved in the application that's going in for the turbine technician, which I think would be a better fit for us in the end. Uh, we can partner with the schools in Atlantic Cape with regard to the safety aspect 
Now we're getting into the individuals that are literally in the industry working on site out in the ocean. So with that, the turbine tech is an application that we're submitting tomorrow. We're, we're talking obviously in July. Uh, this idea would be an entry for the college to be part of the base programming for the wind industry. And as it evolves in New Jersey, and we get a wind institute for the state of New Jersey, but we're working, uh, we have a partner system in Bristol Community College in, in Massachusetts, who has been a year or two ahead of us in this. And we're affiliated with Maersk out of Denmark with regard to the training and or the technician training. So we put in, our, in this application with the idea that we would like to be part of it, yes. We see the wind industry and environmental sustainability is really, go back to medicine, environmental stability is part of our national cry as we look at our planet. And the idea that we have solar on our campus, we have a wind consideration coming, uh, that we would wanna be a part of it, develop a major with the university in environmental science and sustainability of the earth. And that we would, yes, we wanna be a player. So we are putting a lot of our energy and our grant attempt into uh, becoming a partner with the state of New Jersey to focus in South Jersey, where this farm will first come out, uh, along with some partner states in Massachusetts and then Maryland, uh, that the East Coast, as it comes out into the wind industry, as the president's you know, you know, putting into his plan, that we would like to be a part. So once again, you're touching on emerging industries, as we call them. Health is one, wind is two. And they are literally two of the top priorities in the state of New Jersey, certainly in the southern part of the state. You said that uh, the education playing field is shrinking and the landscape can't maintain as it currently stands with so many institutions. As an institution that was formed from the merger of two colleges, how might Rowan College of South Jersey now play into con the consolidation trend currently seen in the industry? Once again, this was something that was coming. And I think the pandemic, as we say, pushed it on steroidal growth. You are now seeing universities and colleges talking about mergers, jointures, shared service relationships. Do we have too many? I don't know if we have too many as much as we as a state continue to be the number one exporter of high school talent to other states for higher education with a prognosis that's very few of them return. So with that in mind, I think that what we're seeing is a shift in the demographics and that's the impact largely is there's less of a traditional student body. The numbers are down in Northeast Carter of the country with regard to the demographics. So if you have a smaller pool of candidate and you're exporting most of them, it leaves us with a short consideration with regard to the potential growth. Now put the blender on and put in pandemic, the fear of re-engagement and or the technology shift that students want to engage online and they want to do it on their time and their terms. So all of that is playing at one time, which I think we felt was starting to squeeze the opportunity of individual standalone survival. The idea that colleges could merge, but they could merge programmatically and academically by bringing in and become specialists in certain components of education and training. So the county college two-year sector, we're moving around watching each other to see where there's gonna be uh, an ability to survive because the sector across our nation is down and you pointed out our numbers. We're looking for those numbers to somewhat correct coming out of the pandemic, but we still think we'll return to what was baseline, which was really a shortage of students. So I believe, we believe, the college took a step to merge with Cumberland County so that Gloucester and Cumberland could regionalize with a Route 55 corridor of connectivity that we could be an Eds and Meds corridor or educational concept. Keep in mind, we have a research university in Rowan as the mothership that is geographically right between two of us on that same interstate. 
So with all of that in mind, we did take the step. I, I think that you're going to see more of this rather than less of it. I do think that larger institutions will start talking more aggressively to two-year schools. Do we go to a state system where we're all meshed together and operating as one? I, for one, as one voice in the darkness, would say that's probably a great idea. Uh, but I don't see New Jersey trending that way. But we'll see where it goes. But I do think that this is not an aberration. I think you're going to see more are going to come together for survivability and also for the idea of program you know, refinement. We don't all have to do the same thing to a smaller number of people. We can consolidate that operational cost, that administrative cost, and focus on classroom and growth by geography and program demand. So I think this is the tip of the spear. It's, it's coming. It's going to come more aggressively as post-pandemic numbers remain low. And I think the refinement of the industry is no different from any other. Look at hospitals, look at other entities. They merge, they go together. I think this is just a sign of the times and where we're going. Wonderful. Well, thank you again. That's Dr. Frederick Keating, the president of Rowan College of South Jersey. My name is Abby Maloney. Fred, thank you again. You've been listening to Invest Insights. Be sure to follow, rate, and review this podcast to hear more. I'm Abby Maloney. Thank you for tuning in. And uh, I've been wanting to spend more time reading. I have four young children, so they kind of take a little my free time away. <laughs> but I did get back to reading, which was great. Uh, definitely spent more time outdoors, and that's going to stick. I know we're going to do more of that. I took my my son's uh, hiking in the Adirondacks. We're going to keep doing that kind of thing. Um, and then also just in general, how I manage my time. The pandemic allowed us to really get a good handle on what a healthy balance in terms of time management looks like. And I'm planning to make sure that that sticks around. Indeed. The, in PVP rounds one and two, Fulton Bank granted 10,000 loans, uh, which totaled $2 billion. In an industry where change in regulation comes slow at best, what did uh, the rapid adoption to the PPP legislation reveal to you about your bank and the industry overall? Yeah, I don't think it would be a stretch to say that uh, PPP was one of the biggest experiments in modern history of business banking. It really showed what we're capable of as an industry, uh, how quickly we can mobilize our entire workforce into a single mission, um, how quickly we can create new processes, deploy new technology, and then train all of our employees on those processes and new technology. It also showed how important it is to have IT and data people mm -hmm. who really understand our business. Um, so aside from being there to support millions of businesses during a time of need, uh, the industry really learned a lot from PPP. And how has the successful adaptation and execution of the, this program reshaped Fulton Bank's business plans and focus moving forward? Yeah, sure. As a result of PPP, we got better at managing large scale projects at the enterprise level. Uh, we learned how to leverage the skills of all the departments across the bank to get a lot of work done in a very short period of time. And we did all that while making sure that we created a positive customer experience. It also taught us when and how to leverage the skills and capabilities of third parties. Hmm. Um, for a project like PPP that was so large, uh, there was just a need to, to pull in certain third parties here and there 
uh, to make sure that we can pull it off timely, effectively. And uh, we got really good at, at figuring out when and how to plug in third parties. It was also a moment uh, when our culture shined through. Hmm. Uh, at Fulton, we are collaborative. We work as a team. We're inclusive. And we really needed to lean on everyone to pull it off. Um, so in short, you know, PPP, the entire experience, it's given us a lot of confidence in our ability to successfully pull off large enterprise-wide projects quickly. And that's going to serve us well in the fast-changing environment that we're in today. With the ongoing disruption to the global supply chain, uh, paired with the reopening of the economy on such a massive scale,